Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in, listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Uh, I like that. Okay. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says. Alert. My heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know, uh, this, this series behind the music begins today, but this particular song has always been one of my very favorite songs. Little did I know that Jonathan Cain would marry Paula White and, and that begin in ministry there in Florida with her. A uh, great song, and, uh, you know, we all want to keep believing, and, and there's a reason we believe in things we believe in, and, and God knew from the beginning of time that he would uh, need to help us, and so when he created Adam and Eve, and, and, and you know, you, this is not in the Bible, but this is kind of behind the scenes as well, uh, Adam looked at God and said, God, I, I just have a question for you. Why did you make my, my wife so beautiful? God says, well, simple, so you'd love her. But, but God, she has this long, beautiful, blonde, <laughs> wavy hair. Why did you do that, God? God said, so you'd love her. But God, she's really curvy, too. Why did you do that? So you'd love her. God, I'm going to ask you a really tough question, and I hope you're not mad at me, but why did you make her so dumb? God said, so she would love you. There you have it. (laughs) Don't stop believing. (laughs) There's hope. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 20. And we all have a story. We all have a reason uh, for where we are today and how we arrived at this place and and uh, every day, our belief system, our faith is challenged. Um, the things that we see in the world, the things going on in the world, and, you know, this past weekend was a horrible weekend, and the shootings in El Paso and Dayton, and, and uh, even as those things were happening, this sermon was way ahead of that, prepared ahead of that. But that experience and experiences like that uh, are going to shape not just the families who lost people they loved, but there are now going to be people based on that experience that will have a shift in their confidence and their faith. And that one experience will cause many people to ask the question that has been asked throughout the centuries, where was God? As horrible as they are, is that God has given us a free will. Unfortunately, many use it to hurt other people. But the question that needs to be answered, and I've answered it this way for years, and it may not provide solace to a lot of people, but it may provide some uh, to, to some people, which is God is in the very same place that he was the day his son was brutally murdered and killed on a cross. It doesn't reduce... Uh, the omniscience of God or the omnipresence of God, 
but it does challenge us to believe. There's no question about that. It's painful. And we have those questions. And the, and the, the, the thing that is so difficult is that we all want free will. We all want freedom. And uh, I don't think any of us would trade that free will in today based on that experience. But free will is difficult to manage for a lot of people, if not all people. Some go to extremes like this weekend. And exercising the free will to take other people's lives, as we know, is very, very wrong. Yet we don't want to give up our free will, and I'm thankful that we have it. So with all of that said, this song, Don't Stop Believing, uh, is so absolutely critical to all of us because our belief systems are what drive us. You say, why did you do what you did? Maybe there was a fracture in your faith, and oftentimes there is a fracture in our faith. We see things as irreparable oftentimes, that there's not anything that can fix my problem. There's no uh, no hope for me. And a lot of people feel that today. I'm so far behind, I could never even catch up, much less get ahead. But that's not true. In a moment, if we will keep believing, our world can change. When I think about the woman caught in the act of adultery, uh, I'm sure that woman thought for sure when they were, there's no hurt to Jesus. In that moment, she saw her whole life flash before her eyes, thinking, there's no hope for me. It's not even possible. I, what I've done is wrong. I know it's wrong, and I was caught in it, and, and according to law, I am to be stoned. And that's what she's thinking and hearing all the way as they're taking her to Jesus. And, and she gets to Jesus, and in a moment, Jesus changed everything. In a moment, that same Jesus who changed everything for that woman can change everything for us. Now, we don't always see things happening that quickly, but what I want to do today is speak to uh, us about our faith and, and not uh, quitting and not giving up. There's always the everlasting question as well, but when people continue to be stupid, how do I keep believing that they can change? It's real simple. You get up every day and you keep believing they're going to change. Now, it doesn't mean that their change is your responsibility. It doesn't mean that you have to be, uh, live your life in the pathway of their wrath. But it, it does mean that we never give up on anybody. We never quit. And, and that in a moment, I'll share this in my second point. Your words can make a difference and begin to shape things. And it doesn't happen overnight. I don't think my daughter would mind me sharing this and, uh, at all. But there was a time, some of you may remember my oldest daughter, Evangeline. Uh, Evangeline was uh, uh, just always very different, very sensitive. I didn't know this at the time. But as a sensitive person, words and things really affected her. And when she got older, she had some real issues. And, and uh, we, we found a diagnosis, and, and there was no medication that could fix it, but there were words that could fix it. And we began to use this dialectical behavior therapy, this change of language, uh, to speak to her. And now she is a happy wife and mother of two children and just living a great life that I would have never been able to see, uh, but I had to keep believing. And, and I had to change. Uh, and in order to assist her, I needed to change as well. So in our lives, uh, our faith is very critical to the outcome 
uh, of every circumstance and all the outcomes of our life, our faith is absolutely critical. So I want to speak to us about our faith and how to be aware of whether our, our faith is being used to build up or our faith is being used to tear down. Uh, you and I, believe it or not, little by little have an impact on the world around us and the people around us. Very important that we are of the shortcomings of other people and what's going on in their lives. And as the quest said, we oftentimes don't do enough inventory and inspection on our own lives and ask the question, what's going on in me? Because Paul said, I'm the worst of all sinners. Remember that? The Apostle Paul, when I read that, I'm thinking, but Paul, you wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. You, you, you were willing to die for your faith. But Paul said, I'm the worst of all people. I'm the worst of all sinners. If we can maintain that understanding that it prevents us from destroying other people. So in, in John chapter 20, I'm going to shift gears to Thomas. Most of us that have been in church any length of time, remember these, the, the, what Thomas was called. He was called what? Doubting Thomas. In other words, Thomas, after walking and seeing Christ and being around and all the things he had experienced, when Christ was crucified and put in the tomb, Thomas actually, his belief, or he stopped believing, as you'll see here. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. Now, if someone told you that they saw a guy that had been publicly crucified and buried, that they saw him, you would certainly want them drug tested. You're thinking, guys, look, man, I, I know we all wish Jesus was back with us. We all wish that he was here. We miss him. But look, you guys are on shrooms, okay? And, and some of you really pure people are going to have to ask ex-drug addicts what that means. And it says, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. How many people in the world today are from the lineage of Thomas? More than we could count. If I can't see it, I refuse to believe it. When I started my first church, there were literally, because of my past, people in Oklahoma City that I didn't even know knew I was still alive ask, is this the Mark Crow from Berry Hill? Because in their minds, they're thinking, there is no way this guy is preaching Jesus. I mean, I can't imagine him even going to heaven. They were asking that question because it would be hard to believe, and I understand that. And some of you have a hard time believing, if not all of us, and we just stop believing. And he says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Jesus was always wrecked. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Jesus was always wrecking the world. It's like, no, I'm not just going to show up on the boat. I'm going to walk on water in a storm. I mean, Jesus played with the disciples. I mean, can you see him looking at God? Watch this. I'm going to really wreck their world. And then now the doors are locked and Jesus walks through a wall. That's what it's saying. The only way, he just shows up. He's like, just comes through a wall. That would matter. I don't need to put my hand in your side no more. 
Doors are locked and you're here. Don't want to touch that. I mean, that's freaky stuff. The Bible, like if you read it slow, it's really a freak you out. And you'll go, oh, come on, man. That, I got to get rid of that part of the Bible. If you get rid of one verse, you have to get rid of it all. It's either all true or not true at all. And so Jesus just kind of shows up. He's just like thinking, okay, Thomas, you don't think I got this? You've been with me. You've watched me. You've seen me raise Lazarus. You've seen me heal lepers. You've seen me forgive adulterous women. You've seen me at the way. What part of this don't you get? Is one moment and one experience going to cause you to doubt my authority, my deity, my power? One moment, one experience? And Jesus said, peace be with you. That's because Thomas is going like a deer in headlights. Then he said to Thomas, and notice Thomas hadn't said anything to him. Nobody said anything. Jesus knew what Thomas was thinking. Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. I think with that kind of emphasis, oh, my God. And he was his God. Because you've seen me, you have believed. Now, this rocks your world. If you just slow down, blessed. Or I like how the old people used to say it, blessed. Get some blessed on up in here. <laughs> Depends on what denomination you're from. You know, blessed. Presbyterian. Assembly of God. Blessed. <laughs> See, how can you say that? I grew up in it. <laughs> Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, as the song, I, I love the first few verses. Just a small town girl living in a lonely world. She took the midnight train going anywhere. And I just got to, I got to find something to believe in. Just a city boy, born and raised in South Detroit. If you've ever been to Detroit, you might get this. Even today, he took the midnight train going anywhere. It doesn't matter whether you're country or you're from the city. We're all looking. We're all searching. We're all trying to find something to believe in. Now, here's what really challenges our faith. And it used to challenge my faith because in, in the theological world, there are so many different belief systems, whether it's, you know, speaking in tongues, not speaking in tongues, whether music and instruments should be allowed in church or whether they shouldn't be allowed in church, whether women ought to be able to wear, and this is kind of outdated, but when I got saved, there was a, a plaque in the lobby of the church I got born again in that said, no pants uh, allowed uh, in the sanctuary for women. I'm glad we qualified that with for women. They could not wear pants in the sanctuary. And so that was the paradigm. And so we all have these uh, experiences and theological differences and do we believe in miracles or not believe in miracles? Is Jesus still doing the same things today he did yesterday? What is he doing? And so that belief and that faith is challenged. Bang. Didn't believe in miracles. I was just glad to go to heaven until one day I needed a miracle. And guess what? Everything changed. When you have an experience, you will be challenged to rethink what you believe, what you have faith in. 
I've got a friend, a kid that was in my youth group. I just saw it on Facebook, and it's really been kind of tough for me a couple of days. It was in my youth group uh, in 19, late 1980s, and he's, he's, so he's, he's, I think he's 50 right now, the best I can tell. And uh, he, uh, he's going through fighting cancer. And I thought, you know, he was, my, he was one of my kids. Here I am, a little older than him. Who said a lot? Ushers? No, I'm just kidding. A lot older. Jesse, help me out. And so, <laughs> you, got to, you got to get them under control here. You know I'm messing with you, right? And looking, we don't care, okay. But I look at him and I go, you know, whether he believed in a miracle before the cancer diagnosis, which is in my youth group, so I know he does, or not, he would start believing now. Why wouldn't you? What does it cost you? You know the reason many people don't believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, or at least does what he does today, would do today what he did then? Because if it doesn't happen, they've already figured out, I've got to give an explanation to somebody as to why it didn't happen. You are not responsible for the outcome. You are responsible for the faith. All I'm called to do is believe. If I die, it's the ultimate freedom. You know, so we're all afraid, well, what if I die? No more bills. That's what I think. You, you, you can take your 401k and light it up because <laughs> you don't need it no more. <laughs> you know, so we get all worried about things and experiences will do that. And that's my first point. Life experiences shape our faith. Most people, and this is the reason this is number one, is most people believe or don't believe based on what they have experienced, not what they've heard. Well, and you've heard people say many times, I'm, at least I have, well, it's not been my experience that this happens. Well, I can't live my life based on your experience. More importantly, in what the Bible says, regardless of what I've experienced. We've all experienced pain, suffering, criticism, hurt. The list goes on. We've all experienced those things. And truly, uh, if, if I was going to base my faith in God or Christ on experience, I would not be in church today. I'm just being honest with you. I've, I've been on the inside and outside of church for over 40 years. I preached my first sermon in uh, July of 1978 when I was 10 years old. Okay, add a decade. And I don't mean this to be rude, unkind. I pastor a church. But quite frankly, it's been my experience and many people who are not in church today would wholeheartedly agree with me and say this is why we're not in church is because the church has a tendency to kill its own. When a church person makes a mistake, here's what I've heard said before, but you're held to a higher standard. There's nothing in the Bible. I know the Bible says that not many should become teachers, but the reality is I don't get to heaven based on a different set of rules than you. I only get to go to heaven because I have put my faith in Jesus Christ. So my experience, even as a leader, would say, you know, if, if it was about the way things are done or the way I was treated, I would say I'm not going to church. But the church is not my salvation and the experience is not my foundation. 
my relationship with God and my understanding of the Bible and my experience of salvation in 1977 when I was a drug addict and alcoholic, that when I got born again, everything changed and all the things that drove me to that no longer push me, that now I'm free to do what I want to do without being compelled to do something destructive. Don't stop believing. Just because you've experienced heartbreak, because you've experienced hurt, because you've experienced criticism, because you've experienced loss, everything says stop. And during my first 42 days of, of writing uh, seven one-inch binders of notebooks and going through all of that I went through, I read Job every day. And I used to always be bothered by the book of Job because Baptists and Charismatics saw it totally different. And my, I didn't agree with either one of them. And not that I was right and they were wrong, but I just didn't agree. And what I came to realize after studying Job was this, that Job, back in the Old Testament, Satan was rarely ever talked about because everybody saw God as supreme. There wasn't anybody else to talk about. Yahweh, Jehovah, Elohim. Elohim. And so uh, they, they rarely referred to Satan at all. Though in the book of Job, it does refer to him as coming and asking God, what about your servant Job? Well, now Job understood something that even in the midst of all this, that God was God. And in one verse, Job says these words, and it bothers a lot of people, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Now, that law, a lot of people say, well, God would never slay. Job didn't say he did, but Job knew God had such power and authority that if God wanted this to go away, it could go away. And it could have. But because God so put so much faith in Job, and let me say this to you, God has more faith in you than you will ever have in you. God had faith in Job, and God's allowing this, if you will, was to prove to Satan, there are people I have created that will go to the mat and death for me without ever wavering. And Job makes that statement saying, this one experience is not going to change my faith in who God is. He has boils. He's scraping himself. He's broke. He's poor. He's lost his family. Everything has gone downhill. And Job rises up and said, it doesn't matter what happens to me. I won't stop believing. But I lost my job, my car, my house, my kids, my family. I'm on the streets, wherever you might be. Let me tell you, God is there with you. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Don't stop. But too too often, we allow our experiences and the experiences of others to shape our faith. I think about Abraham, his father Terah said, said they left the Ur of the Chaldeans en route to Canaan. As we know, they got to Haran and his father stopped there and the Bible says he died there. So now Abraham's experience is that I know dad said that we were leaving Ur and we're going to Canaan, but here we are in this city between the two. So my experience is that God really doesn't mean that much to my family or else we would have been, we would have kept moving to Canaan. But one day God speaks to Abraham, 
that says, I want to override your experience and what you've experienced, and I want you to go all the way to promise. Some of you stopped because you had you saw your parents had an experience. They divorced. They quit. They, they dad, your dad lost his job. All these things got messed up. And now you have based your faith in God based on an experience you had with your family. Look, I don't care who left you. I don't care if, if your mama put your diaper on too tight or the Jenny Lynn crib you slept in make you feel like you were in prison. Whatever the case might be. That you have based your opinion of God on somebody else's experience and made it yours. And you quit believing because somebody else didn't believe. Well, my dad's smart. My professor's brilliant. My aunt is intelligent. My uncle's a theologian. And all of a sudden, you start basing your faith on what somebody else did or didn't do, some experience they had that was bad. And you've quit on God simply because you saw somebody else's experience. And it made more sense than what you could think when they explained that why they don't believe in God. I wake up almost every day and I say these words, the latter part of my life will be greater than the former. And I had a good former, but my latter is going to be greater than my former. You say, what proof do you have? I only have this proof that become my God. Your experience cannot become your God. It cannot drive your faith. Now, it will definitely have an impact or a, an influence on your faith but it must not be the driving force of your faith we place all people in the same category as those who treated us good or bad we stop believing in people because people stop believing in us never stop believing if somebody didn't believe in you that's their choice if somebody says something about you that's their choice. I have a choice now to respond or to react. If someone says, well, you know, so-and-so doesn't like you, Mark. What do you think about them? I thought, I love them, but they don't like you. I thought you were asking me what I thought about them, not what they think about me. Why shouldn't I love everybody? Jesus does. God does. You say, but that's difficult. It is difficult to love everybody. It's difficult, but that's what we're called to do. We're called to love people. And so I'm called to love people who hate me, criticize me, judge me. I'm called to love them. That's my goal every day. Do I succeed every day? No. But that's my goal every day is to make sure I do my very best to love people, those who even hate me. Secondly, words impact our faith. What you say, what you say, listen to me, what you say is what's most important because what you hear from other people might be a criticism or a judgment. And if you let that lie and you embrace that, believe it or not, you may become that. God spoke the whole world into existence. You don't think words are powerful? God said, let there be. And you go down the list for six days and, and you see what God created. Words. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Power of life and death is right here. And so not necessarily physical death. And I know that, that, that the world would say this is arrogant, it's pompous, but you need to look in the mirror every day and say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. If you don't like you, you don't like God. You're creating the image and likeness of God. So every time you criticize yourself, you're criticizing God. Yeah. 
Every time you criticize someone else, you're criticizing who God made them. You say, well, you have a high opinion of yourself. Yeah, but it's going to get worse because God has a higher opinion of me than I do. God has a higher opinion of you than you do. God's opinion of you is incredible. You are awesome. You're incredible in every way. He made you that way. You've got to start looking in the mirror and say, God, thank you for making me this way. I'm getting older. My earlobes are growing. Have you ever wondered why ears never stop? I was with Oral Roberts right before he died. I swear his ears were six inches long. It's like you could pick up an airplane coming from Afghanistan. It was all radar. And I'm thinking, you know, you've got to have faith, not just in God, but you've got to have faith in the God who made you and created you and faith in you. So I, I just look and say, there's nothing, nothing impossible with God. And if God lives in me, therefore, there is nothing impossible. I'm making declarations to myself that would scare most people and make them want me to go to counseling. I believe in a big God. I believe big things are going to happen. I believe great things are going to happen. I believe, and I won't stop believing, and I won't stop sharing it. And people have declared in the Jordan at flood stage and take down the walls of Jericho, my issues are really pretty small. So whatever it is you're facing right now, don't turn it into a mountain. Don't put a period where God simply put a comma. And we've all heard this a million times. A faith that has not been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. If your faith has not been tested, then you don't have much trust in the faith that you possess. My faith has been extremely tested in the fires and the furnace. And let me tell you something. The God that helped me build a church of 10,000 can help me build another one. I'll never forget the founder of Incredible Pizza. I knew him when he was sleeping on a cot in the back of his pizza joint in Victoria, Texas, and it was called Mr. Gaddy's. And he had a dream that was bigger than the Gaddy's dream and ended up going his own way and starting Incredible Pizza, now franchised in not just America, but all over the, 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 this, this continent. And uh, I asked him one time, because I was very young, I was youth pastor to his kids, and I said, Have you, do you ever wake up, this was after he became successful, I said, do you ever wake up and, and are you ever afraid of losing everything you've built, multi-millions, millions? And he looked back at me, I'll never forget, I could tell you where we were on the loop going around Victoria, Texas, and he looked at me and he said, no, I'm not afraid of losing it, I did it once, I can do it again. Yeah. I never forgot those words nor the confidence with which he said them. And I'm thankful for Rick Barsness and, and Incredible Pizza and his precious wife, uh, Cheryl. They are dear, godly people. And those words impacted me. They were words of faith. They were words that said, Mark, I have no fear. The God who did it once can do it again and again and again and again and again. So whatever you've gone through, keep on moving. Don't stop. If you're going through hell, don't put on the brake. Press on the accelerator. The Bible says it came to pass. It didn't come to stay. Words are powerful. 
C.S. Lewis said, where we find difficulty, we may always expect that a discovery awaits us. When you find difficulty, know this, there is a discovery awaiting you. That there's something just beyond where you are today that is going to bless your life. I can declare blessing over you because God has declared blessing over all of us. The Bible says, bless and curse not. If somebody's going through a hard time, when they're at their worst, they need our best. They don't need you to tell them how bad they are, how stupid they've been, how dumb their decision was. What they need to hear is, look, let's get up. There's something greater in you than what just happened. I believe in you. It's going to change. Your world is going to get better. And it's hard when you want to knock them into next week. I want to slap you so hard that you'll look like you were on the exorcist. I wasn't saved when that movie came out and her head turned all the way around. I bet you've never heard that in a sermon before. I'm just keeping it real. Watch what you say. My favorite passage of scripture when I got born again was, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. There's nothing impossible with my God. I see myself speaking to the multitudes to this day. And you say, but you're getting older. My voice still works. My convictions remain. My faith is strong. And my future is bright. Find health, going from victory to victory and glory to glory. But with you praying for me, the best days are ahead. Not only do experiences shape our faith and words impact our faith, but time continues to mold our lives and our faith. Time. I was talking to a, a friend of many years this past week, and he was going through a very difficult time. And uh, he said, uh, I read a book by a guy called Mastering Your Storms, which is a book I wrote many years ago. Little did I know that I would need it as my guide. I thought it was for everybody else. I was doing fall you fools on the boat, you know. And so, so he said, he said, he said uh, yeah, I read a book by a guy. And I said, oh, yeah, thanks, you know. And I said his name. I won't tell you who he is. You, you might know him. And I, I said, you know, time has caused me to rethink all the books I've written and I've thought, my, I've changed some things. If I could rewrite it, I'd remove some things. <laughs> I thought I was right. You know what I'm saying? So any, any book you read, you can know that about a third of it won't apply in about 10 years. <laughs> because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But time changes things. And it also changes us. I am a stronger Christian than I've ever been. I can't say I'm a better Christian than I've ever been, but I am a stronger Christian than I've ever been. Because I don't know what's better or what's best or what's worst. I just know that I've never quit loving Jesus, and I can promise you he's never quit loving me. So if, if they, you ask me how things are with me and Jesus, they're really good, but there's some people who disagree. So all you got to do is remember you're not answering for anybody else or everybody else. You're only answering for you. I'm not going to stand before Jesus for my kids, 
my wife, my grandkids. I'm going to stand for Jesus before Jesus. He's going to say, Mark, talk, talk to me about Andrew. The keep talk. He's not going to ask me one question about Andrew. I wish he would because, I, you know, it would make me feel better to say, well, you know, God, I worked. I did the best I could, but he did. I love all my kids. But the reality is time will change us. The psalmist says, I was young. And now I'm old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. In other words, what I'm telling y'all is I'm not going to stop believing. I was young once. I still feel 30 until I play five minutes of basketball. Not even a quarter. And I look and go, I am done. I played my last game at an outreach a couple years ago. I went home and I locked up like a safe. <laughs> and, it, and I just made one very simple move that I'd made all my life. And I went, oh. Just for that moment, I don't believe I can play basketball anymore. So I have stopped believing there. I am so done. I'm bronzing my last pair of tennis shoes. It's over, Jesse. <laughs> now I know why old people play shuffleboard. <laughs> oh, ow. We can't play basketball anymore, but I can push a puck, you know, whatever. There's got to be a game for us, you know what I'm saying? In my mind, I can still dunk. In my body, I can't get six inches off the ground. So time does still mold our faith and... As we get older, here's what I would say this has made me. I'm more, I'm more focused on a strong faith than a perfect life. You know, when you're young, you want everything to be perfect. You don't want to make any mistakes. You want to be able to say, you know, I, I never divorced. I never, you, you want to go down the list of all the things you never did. And, and we live our lives to, to, to and I, there's nothing wrong with, with trying to achieve great things. But if the goal is to achieve great things, to impress ourselves when we get older or impress others, we've missed it. What I want to be able to say at the end of it is like Paul, you know, I've run the race. I fought the good fight. I kept the faith. All the hell and the beatings and all the things I went through in my life did not cause me to waver one little bit when it came to who God is. That's my prayer for all of us today believe him. Don't quit. Don't give up. You can change. I can change. We can change. And a part of that is being willing to not hang on to things that you've anchored your life to. Something your parents told you you should always believe. Something you think is, is the anchor of your life. There's only one anchor and it's not an it. It's in him. It's God himself. I'm not anchored to any denomination. I, people ask, what kind of church do you have? I, it's, it's people. <laughs> well, what, what kind is people? <laughs> well, is it denomination? No. Is it not? No. It's, uh, this is. And then I go into what I used to have. I said, yeah, we used to go into strip clubs and drag, invite women. out. I didn't. I, the women did. Women would go in and they'd invite women to church. We had a whole stripper small group. We did. I could never announce it from the stage or men would come to the small group. 
Yes, we want to come and we want to bless you. Yeah, right. I had to hide these strippers. I mean, you could tell when they came in. It was, it was pretty obvious. I'd be preaching, and, there'd be, and I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, help us. But they loved us. We were in every strip club but one, and we were doing funerals for them. We'd take them gifts. Why? Because that's the kind of people I love. Uh, not, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know what I'm saying. Sick minds. I'm talking about people who are hurting. That one will go down on bloopers. <laughs> what I'm saying is, we have faith in all kinds of people. <laughs> and, and probably there's a stripper in there going, thank God. That's why we have the pole. Anyway, so. <laughs> God. I think I had a sunstroke. <laughs> Sound guy's going, hit the button now. Turn it off. Don't record. <laughs> Y'all won't come next week because of Jesus. You'll okay, he's going to say something. Let's go. Why do you like the church? Because the idiot preaches. I don't know. He, Let's just go. Anything can happen in Mosaic. We, we're just singing a journey song and talking about strippers. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So much fun. Okay, we should pray. Front row's going, whew, whew. yes, we should. Oh, Susan's going. Oh, what has happened to my husband? <laughs> I'm just, uh, thank you, sanctified crazy. Something, I don't know. Uh, you know, God help us. Seriously help us. Lord, we love you so much, and I love these people with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength the way I love you because you made them. They're all my brothers and my sisters, and you're our father. And God, we know that we have siblings that have gone astray. We have siblings that are searching, and they're going on a train to anywhere just to find something that would fill an emotional need or satisfy a longing in their heart. And God, we love them. We love them. We pray, God, for all the families that have been negatively affected by these shootings and these killings. And God, there's so much in the world that is so difficult. But that's why, Jesus, you died for us. And uh, you knew that there would be difficulty going back as far as Cain and Abel. It all began right there. And, uh, God, there's one thing that we know for sure, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you love us, and you, you heal us, you help us. Help these families, help us, help those watching, help those in here. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to pray a prayer. I want to ask you to pray this with me because there will be those of you that pray this with me online and those of you that pray this in here that have never made Jesus the Lord of your life. And uh, this prayer, these words are not just words, they're words of faith. So pray this with me. Say, Father God, thank you so much 
for loving me so much that you sent your only son to die on the cross for me. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin. I confess with my mouth, you are the Lord of my life. I believe in my heart, you were raised from the dead. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.